Today marks the second Sunday since Christmas, a Christmas that was anything but routine. And as we worship today, the sounds of the holidays are beginning to fade, the Advent candles are put away, and it'll be soon time to take down the Christmas tree and pack away all the decorations. It might feel like the warm glow of Christmas just a few days ago is quickly becoming a distant memory. Some might even say this means that Christmas is over. Christmas is not over. There are actually 12 days of Christmas, and later this week will be the 12th day of Christmas, called the Epiphany. Now, if Christmas is the story of what God does, then the Epiphany is the account of how we respond to God's work. Following the Magi, today we too come seeking the newborn Jesus, bearing the gifts of our lives. In many cultures, today is as big a day as Christmas itself. This week, all over Latin America, children will wake up and rush to the window ledge to check their shoes, hoping a passing king would see them and tuck a gift inside for them. Epiphany. It means a showing forth, a revealing, an unveiling. The visit of the star watchers from the east, the star shining in the night sky over Bethlehem, the whispered rumors of a new king all indications that God is stirring among us and that the story is not yet finished. Our response is to go and look for the star. Now, nobody tells the Magi exactly where to find him. No one tells us either. They point in the direction of Bethlehem, and then the star takes over again, as if the star had heard their inquiry as well, and it is the star's light that reveals the way. And so the Magi come and find the child in a manger. They come setting their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh as they worship Jesus. Scripture tells us that not everyone who saw the star was so full of joy and wonder. When Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all of Jerusalem with him. And I wonder if Herod, who often gets so much wrong, was actually right about this part. He understands that this star's rising is big news, but not necessarily the news that he wants to hear. And Herod is by no means alone. As Matthew notes, all of Jerusalem agrees with him. For they know that this star is a sign of change and promise, news that is not great for those clinging to power and the past. For most of humanity in history, people would have agreed with this. The ancient historian Josephus noted that a star stood over the city of Jerusalem just before the Romans conquered it in 70 AD. Likewise, the appearance of a star in England in 1066 came just before the Battle of Hastings and was seen as a dark omen of things to come. It kind of makes me wonder what portents the convergence of Jupiter and Saturn might be bringing to us. And 2020 certainly was a year a year that taught us to take nothing for granted. We have seen life as we have known it turn upside down, and what else might fall apart next? For if everything changes and collapses, where will that leave us? If everything is different, how will we know what to do? As Christians in the modern world, we are incredibly susceptible to this. We have talked a good game about praying and working and wanting for the new things in the new kingdom, but we often remain in the darkness of our old and set and comfortable patterns. Matthew tries to prepare us for this shocking creativity of God from the very beginning. 
His genealogy of Jesus that we sometimes read at Christmas Eve would have confounded those first readers. A genealogy in those days was traced through the male lineage. But here Matthew breaks in and includes four women in the list of ancestors of Jesus. And they were by no means any ordinary women. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba. They were women whose lives bore the scars of prostitution and incest, of adultery and murder. Women considered outsiders, outcasts, and others who were unimportant. But Matthew is laying the groundwork in his seemingly boring list of names. He's showing us that a new day, a new way is dawning. A day that is anything from one that we might be expecting. And Matthew continues on this theme when he introduces the Magi. Now, we call them wise men, a status that might not have been recognized by Matthew's reader. And some people have suggested they were philosophers. Others have called them astrologers because of their fascination with stars. But whoever they were and wherever they were from, the point here in Matthew is that they weren't from here. They aren't the hometown folks with the local values and the down-home upbringing. These were outsiders from a foreign land, a land that scripture often warns us that good religious people should stay away from. And in our story, these outsiders, these strangers, these others bring the news of change and goodness. And Matthew is telling us, like all the Gospels, that the incarnation of God changes the world. It turns it topsy-turvy in ways that we are just beginning to fully realize. God is indeed making all things new. And often when we speak of the new, I think we don't really mean new as in different, but more like tweaked or improved or slightly augmented. The fact is, much of the time, even the most faithful of us can't imagine a world that's much different than the one that we already have. And that's the point. We can't without God. We can't imagine what we can't see, but God can. And God is longing to show us a new vision of the world, a vision for us carried out through all of time. God is grafting us now into something that goes far beyond our understanding of hope and the new. And that seems important to me as we begin this new year together. Many of us are in the thickness of writing New Year's resolutions, promises about what we want to see different and new in the coming months. And honestly, I'm not a fan of New Year's resolutions. I think it takes much more than a new year to actually make lasting changes in our lives. And all of us who have ever abandoned our resolutions can quickly attest to that. Yet there is something powerful and holy about naming that hope and that desire of changes that we long to see in ourselves and those around us. I've seen people quit smoking. I've seen a friend lose weight and go from sitting on the couch to running a marathon, both born out of the promises made in New Year's resolutions. And these things were possible not because they were simple or easy, but because the people who invested in that hope and that change trusted in the promise that things could be different, that things could be new. That is the power of the epiphany this year, the light of the Christmas star. In this crazy world, the promise of hope and the possibility of the transformative change of God is alive and well. And every epiphany, we commit to learning to live in that light of a new star, of basking in its warmth, and finding ourselves in a new orientation, an orientation away from us and towards God. 
It is here that we're learning to see the world and ourselves in a new way, God's way. But it's a very different context. The business writer Rosabeth Moss Cantor has written, Success and failure are not events. They are trajectories. And even more deeply, that is true of God's engagement with us and with all creation. The journey we're on is not a single moment, but a trajectory, a long journey, an epiphany. The incarnation of God, the light and promise of the Christmas star, is a one-time event. But the epiphany journey and our response is a lifelong event and is one that we must commit to travel every single day. And friends, it too is a journey that is fraught with danger and fear of darkness and chaos. King Herod looked out in the night sky and he saw a new star blazing just above him. And it showed him to his horror that God's vision for creation is so broad that what we think we know, what we think we understand about how things work, is just the beginning of what's out there. And just like Herod, we are gathered here today afraid of the change and chaos that we live in. It's easier for us to burrow into our routines, to sink marginal improvement for ourselves, rather than to embrace the radical change that God calls us to enact. And when we're honest with one another, too often we view the Christmas star as a relic of the past, rather than an inviting star calling us to live into the nowness and the newness of God's promise. And so as we journey into this new year, as we move from looking backward to forward, from a season where we took stock to a season now where we take action, we are invited to step out in the light of a new star, to set aside the old rules and the regulations of what can and can't be, of what we should and shouldn't be, to acknowledge our fears and push past them to imagine what it might be to live in new ways in a new world, to embrace the promise of the Christmas star. When brokenness in all its forms seems to shrink our world until there's no room for anything but pain and fear, that's when the light of the new star shows up that lights us to the path that's back to wholeness and to God. For the victims of oppression and injustice, subtle and explicit exclusions that for some are so painfully familiar and for others they painfully do not see, the light of the star is a reminder that change is born. The light of the natal star is a beacon of hope for justice and wholeness. Friends, the good news is alive. Jesus, the light of the world, has been born reminding us that God is with us in our brokenness, that God is here in the midst of all this, that the light shined in the darkness and no darkness, no sorrow, no chaos can ever extinguish its hope and promise. It is a light that gives us a reminder that God's rule-breaking, table-turning glory is here to help us see ourselves and all things in new ways. So whatever baggage we bring into the new year, whatever fears and frustrations might be, hear today that Epiphany is our reminder that we can and will live in a different way. For the light of the star shines in even the darkest places. So friends, let us choose to follow the light of God's star and start our own journey today. Thanks be to God. Amen.